Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, everyone, to Drive Through HR. It is Tuesday, November 3rd, 2020, which for uh, those of our listeners in the U.S., uh, you know what that day is. It is Election Day here in our country. And uh, I'm Robin Schooling, along with my co-host, Michael Vandervoort. Hey, Michael. Hey, Robin. Happy Election Day. Happy Election Day. Did you vote? Did, did you vote? Did you I, vote today or did you vote a while ago already? No, I requested an absentee ballot even though I'm not an absentee from the city where I live. Um, I requested an absentee ballot and those went out before early voting started in Florida. So I actually voted almost 3 weeks ago. Um I got the ballot in my mailbox, filled it out in my car and put it back in the mailbox. At, without even moving the car, just to make sure that the U.S. Wow. Postal Service had time to get it back. So, <laughs> and I checked online, and my ballot's in, so I'm good. <laughs> you are good to go. Seriously, this year, yeah. I saw you I, um, I went with, this morning. Right? Um, I went this morning. I don't know. I like doing. I like doing the day of. I don't know. It's. I don't know. It's just. I like the You're feel of it. But just um, like just like the show and the. the the live the live shows that's right you know, that's and, right uh, yeah but like it took stuff. me um i was in and out it was like three minutes um so um and i anticipated that because we have a enough uh day of polling stations um and so i i, I never have problems with mine so yep i discharged my civic duty this morning you've discharged yours and uh i'm 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 willing to bet that our guest today has uh has discharged his civic duty as well we are <laughs> thrilled thrilled to have with us today um on on a day when i think um you know some of the conversation we'll have will have um have deeper resonance perhaps so uh welcome to our guest Torin Ellis hey Torin Absolutely fulfilled my civic duty. I did mine about a week ago. Uh, I actually got to the polls at like 5.15 in the morning. I was number 16 in line. A little bit of a misty, a consistent misty uh, rain. Mm. I had my hat on. Someone behind me was absolutely a Trump supporter, uh, and he continued to want to talk to me as I sat there in social distance. Uh, I gave him a bit of that AM conversation, and then, you know, it was what it was, but I'm happy that I voted. <laughs> well, hooray. I'm glad we're now all we... socially responsible. That's right. <laughs> this, yep. And now we and now we wait. And now we wait. But uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. So, Torn, for, um, for our listeners who are not familiar with you, haven't run into you somewhere or listened to you or seen you at an event or online, um, let, let our audience know your story. Who's Torin? Tell, tell us about yourself. Yeah, so I'm going to go with diversity strategist, risk mitigator. I am the host of Career Mix on Sirius XM. I've been on Sirius XM for five years this December. 
co-host of Crazy and the King with my dear pod partner, mm-hmm. Julie Sowash. I uh, love doing our pod with her. Uh, and who am I? I? I'm just a truth seeker. Uh, I'm a person who is more focused on, you know, the humanity uh, aspect of how we build high-performing teams and incredible organizations. I'm not the guy who's all that concerned with the latest and greatest technology, mm. putting together the longest Boolean search string, coming up with <laughs> the most colorful and pretty graphs. I'm not that guy. I'm not the guy who leans on the academic research. I'm certainly not a person who supports the $8 billion that's spent on unconscious bias training. I'm the guy who's going to look you straight in your face and tell you what you are doing is or is not effective, is or is mm-hmm. not a showcase of being a better human. For me, Robin and Michael, that is what it comes down to. I absolutely believe that we can do a better job of being better human. Mm. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I was uh, I was thinking here here all of us could could work harder at that, I'm sure. Yep. And so so kind of, you know, building off that 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 message of yours, that belief of yours, that that piece of of how you live your life and 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 what you talk about. How 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 is that kind of Meeting up with today, the year 2020, this important election, um, what's what's kind of been the journey this year or leading towards today with, with you on that? You know, I'd be lying to you, Robin, if I said that this was, to me, the most important election in our lifetime. That, that mm-hmm. wouldn't be the truth. The, the truth for me is that every single election has been equally as important in some ways and equally as disappointing in others. And so, mm-hmm. yes, I made sure I went out and voted. I always vote, have voted ever since I've been uh, old enough to vote. But for me, it's life that is far bigger than a November 3rd um, scenario. It's, it's far bigger yeah. than an activity that happens today. It's far bigger than what we have dealt with in terms of Uh, the summer of 2020. I think back to the year that I was born in 1968 and how cities Mm. were burning all across this, this country in 1968 for some of the very same reasons that they are burning now, 50 years later. So, so that's true. Not, none of this is a bit of a, you know, you, you, you don't, you don't know what it is when you are of course a baby and nine and 12 and 15. But when you start, you know, paying attention at 13, 14, and 16, and 19, and 20, and 21, mm-hmm. you start to look back over a good portion of your life and say, you know, not much has really changed. And and so I just think that, you know, it being black for my 52 years largely influences how I do this work. Yeah. It has always influenced how I've done this work. So it influenced how I moved in the military. It influenced how I led in the military. It influenced how I exited out of the military. It influenced everything. It influenced my, you know, getting a job in San Antonio, Texas, when I separated from the Air Force and, you know, a person asking me, what, well, well, can you speak Spanish? And I said, no, I'm in San Antonio. I said, no, I don't know how to speak Spanish. And, and I said, why? <laughs> this was at an AT&T call center. 
And she said, well, mm. if you could speak Spanish, you would make at least a dollar more. I can't remember the exact number, but it was, it was more. It was a little bit more. And so yep. I felt, I, I just remember my days in San Antonio, Texas, where for me, the pecking order, for me, the pecking order seemed to be, this was my personal experience, white men, white women, Hispanic men, Hispanic mm. women, and then those of us that were black. I felt like mm. we were third on the totem pole. And so everything that I've done in my life has had some shaping around who I am and how I show up because yeah. quiet is kept. This is what you see before you hear anything from me, before you evaluate anything about me. It's what you see. And so I don't yeah. use it as a crutch. I'm not leaning on it as a crutch. I don't paint those scenarios as a form of pity. It's just that they heavily influence how I go about doing the work that I do because I absolutely embody love. I want people to know that I see you as a human. We are going to win no matter how much opposition is in front of us. I firmly believe that we are going to win. And I wake up with that type of joy, that type of, mm-hmm. um, I guess, outlook, optimism each and every day. That's who I am. Yep. Sorry. Yep. Yeah, I'm I'm li- I'm listening to still thinking about that, Torin. So probably on a <laughs> podcast we shouldn't all take a long, even though those those were strong words. Um, so this election, though, you know, th- like you say, you're loving and hopeful, which is, you know, I think how we should aspire to be. But there's such discord right now, and so many divisions, and our you know our leader. Uh, you know, the, the, the Trump is, you know, it, he kind of embodies that. So how do, how do you help people deal with that? I, I'm, I'm jumping way off script here, I guess, but how, how do we figure out how to break that cycle? Cause it seems almost impossible. And I've tried really hard the last couple of years, but it just doesn't work. So yeah, I mean, again, I lack you, skill? yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's not that you, it's not that you don't have a skill, Michael. I mean, you, you guys, we just gotta, we gotta call it for what it is. Uh, and for the majority of people that have been or become entrenched on one side or the other, the swaying is almost impossible. So the civil discourse around policy, the civil discourse around, you know, what's the best route for us to, to do this or to do that, to address this audience or that, it, it, it's absent as far as I'm concerned. When I think about when Barack Obama was um, elected back in 2008, and for the Republicans, on the night of his inauguration, and this is documented, for them to say that their number one goal is to I'm paraphrasing, but to defeat him and or not support him, right. that immediately suggests to you what things are going to look like over, at that time, four years, and then subsequently for the next four years. Now, I just want people to think about that for a moment. You can have your position in politics. We can have our position you know, in sports, but sports and politics are two entirely different things. And sports and business and politics, entirely different things. And when I have uh, a governing body or men and women that have been elected that are supposed to be attempting to move an entire country forward, 
and their number one goal is not moving a country forward, not coming out of an economic 2008 wreaked havoc across this country economically. The number Mm -hmm. one goal is not to fix that scenario, but to make sure you defeat this man who is the president. The -hmm. number one goal is to be upset because he wears a tan suit to a Mm -hmm. a press briefing. The number one goal is to find uh, uh, distaste (coughs) in Michelle Obama showing her arms in a sleeveless dress. And yet you counter that with what we've experienced over the last three and a half years, and you hear little to no criticism, we can't, we can't really have a civil conversation. And so I just stopped mm-hmm. trying. I, I, yeah. I, really, I really have just stopped trying, and I just simply operate with the uh, mantra of control the controllable. I knew I could get out and vote. I knew I could make sure that my family got out and voted. I knew I could remind people how important it was for them to vote. Uh, and yep. last but not least, I just try to remind people that no matter what happens, we still have to wake up and face tomorrow. We have to wake up and face tomorrow, whatever tomorrow brings. So I need you to, lay, uh, you know, lace up your boots and be ready to fight. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> I, I remember, uh, Torrin, I was, I was in Tampa. I was living in Tampa when President Obama gave this sort of his acceptance speech and that was in the midst of the housing market melting down. And my, my, my wife at the time owned a business that was directly tied to that industry. So we were kind of watching, you know, some of our own personal, um, you know, stuff just erode away underneath us with no control. Right. And president Obama spoke on TV. And I remember looking at her after he spoke at this time of really, um, really bad, you know, really bad time. And he gave a very hopeful message. And I looked at her and said, he's going to be a great president. And, like, I didn't have that happen this time, right? Um, yeah. I don't know what I'm saying here. I just I felt really hopeful for a minute, you know. And then, to your point, things turned right away. And, and that's probably what's going to happen again this time, but only, only more. <laughs> but, but, but why did they turn right away, Michael? They turned right away. They turned right away because – you know, he found it fitting that the moment he was declared the winner to immediately start to coalesce people and to begin to right. strategize and figure out how do we address this problem. I'm not waiting right. until I'm sworn in. I am figuring out how to put some smart people around me, uh, a variety mm. of different people around me so that we can begin to address this problem. And when I think about HR, I think about HR in the very same capacity. I think about how is it that they fell asleep at the freaking wheel and allowed the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement to become what it is today. How is it that mm-hmm. HR fell asleep at the wheel and they allowed uh, pay inequality to persist, I mean perennially, 30, 40, 50, 100 years? Why? Right. So what we need is people that are going to assume roles of leadership and be responsible. They're going to be accountable. That's what I want to see. I want to see folks in position I don't care who those people are. I want to see people in position that are going to be accountable, going to be responsible. Doesn't suggest that they won't make some mistakes. Barack made a number of mistakes, or President Obama made a number of mistakes. I don't suspect that Republicans need to be perfect or Democrats need to be perfect. I just want people that are honest, genuine, authentic, and willing to explore solutions that are going to move the ball forward that are going to extend Mm -hmm. the boundary 
of opportunity that are going to enlarge the tent of access. That's what I want in terms of leadership. I don't want people that are going to stoke concerns of racism, that are going to tell racists to stand by and sit tight. No, that's not what I want. I don't want that in my leader. Not at all. I don't want people in HR that are going to protect the organization more than they're going to protect the people. I don't want that. I'm not going to be that person that supports that. So people understand when they reach out to Torn, this is who they're going to get. I care about people. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, obviously we're, we're an HR show. We're an HR audience. We look at most everything through the lens of, of the work that, you know, we, we do and the work that we've all done and, and what we see in organizations. And, you know, I think one of the interesting aspects for me this year, I've certainly seen more HR folks talking, <laughs> at least talking. Okay, yeah, are they taking action necessarily? No, not yet. But um, there certainly are more heightened conversations around um, issues of, of equity and social justice and inclusion, and and I think people are asking themselves exactly those questions you said, Torn. Why, why have we let pay equity get so out of control? Why are we still enabling work environments where harassment is, you know, we cast a blind eye? Um, but I think one of the ch- one of the challenges I've seen amongst HR folks is um, this inability to to distinguish between politics uh, what I what I would say are politics and social justice issues. So that, as an example, you know, as um, as I saw so many people talk about. In you know summer businesses start opening up right uh, people are kind of coming out of quarantine going perhaps back into the workplace and so now everybody's wearing masks and I saw just you know HR folks wringing their hands of we don't want people wearing pol- you know political slogans and seeing things as somebody with a mask saying say her name as political as opposed to this is a equity issue, this is a social issue, this is not a candidate versus a candidate, this is a human issue. Um, why do, you know, is it just HR struggling with that? No. But why? I don't know the answer. Why, are, why do HR people struggle with it so much to kind of see that distinction? Yeah, so before before I apply a title to it, Robin, <clears throat> yeah, I'm, I'm going to share something you know that I say often. I, I feel like people are people before their title. So I look at yeah. Robin before her title. I look at Michael before his title. Like it doesn't matter to me if you are in the C-suite or you are, <clears throat> pardon me, a line level leader. Yeah. It doesn't matter to me if you are in. Uh, the, the, the warehouse or if you are uh, in a blue uniform or you happen to be in politics or a part of clergy, you are a person before you are a title. And so I don't know if the struggle has anything to do or as much to do with HR people as it does with people in general. And am I, mm-hmm. I, and if I'm honest and very transparent, the, the majority of people that have an issue with this social and political distinction are white people. 
That's mm-hmm. who it is that's struggling with that. Yeah. As black folks, we have always been able to separate politics and social injustice. And the reason why mm-hmm. we are here right now in this moment is because too many people, that means black and white people, have been silent in the face of injustice. Yeah. We, in the 50s and the 60s, we may have marched a bit, but there were a number of times where we were quiet. We were sharing the conversation amongst ourselves. There have been a number of times mm-hmm. in the, the 90s and the 2000s where we have been quiet and we have shared amongst ourselves. We got passed over for another promotion. We were not mm-hmm. supported when, on a particular project that we were on. We haven't voiced that concern with leadership, with people. We quiet, we hold it to ourselves or in a small group, mm-hmm. and then we just leave the organization altogether. On the mm-hmm. other hand, white people have just simply allowed the shit to happen, period. Yeah. Period. So we yeah. are where we are because we have been silent in the face of injustice. Let me give you an example. In August of 2018, uh, Deloitte wanted to do away with employee resource groups. What's the number one reason they wanted to do away with employee resource groups? Because white men felt like they weren't invited. Now, I pause for effect. Mm-hmm. I want you to think of any one room in any organization where white men haven't been invited, where they were not mm-hmm. able to go, invitation or not. And so such a minor such a fragile position to take for an incredible organization like that to say, well, we're going to do away with employee resource groups. Now they Hmm. came back and replaced it with some other kind of group. I can't remember the name of it, but the point, the premise is because that audience felt like they were not invited. It is not hard for us to separate, say her name from the need for, uh, you know, I don't know, control around stock buybacks. That's a policy, I guess. Right, I don't know. Right. I mean, just, it, it's, it's, it's ludicrous for us to, to feel like some of these, um, these things that are happening are, are political in nature. I just think that that's another curtain of complacency. It's another mm-hmm. modicum of mediocrity, and people are being too fragile and, you know, quite frankly, not willing to accept you know, the reality. I think about what uh, mm-hmm. Coinbase, the CEO, did a couple of weeks ago and said that we are an apolitical organization. And then a week later, mm-hmm. put a posting up and say you want to hire a chief diversity officer. How is mm-hmm. it that you expect someone like me to go into an organization who is highly accomplished and capable, very strategic and tactical, connections across the wazoo? Why would I join an organization that's going to monitor the way that I communicate in Slack channels? and or is working for an organization that is not going to stand up for the injustices that are happening. I'm not getting ready yeah. to submit all of my talent and brilliance to an organization like Coinbase to work under a leader that feels that way. I'm not doing it. Yeah. So we should be able to separate easily social and political. It's not that hard. Yep. 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 Michael, are you there? I am. I'm I'm thinking about <laughs> you thinking? Sorry. <laughs> so, so Torin, one of the th- so I, I'm not sure how I feel about 
saying this the way I'm thinking it, but I'll, I'll go ahead and take the leap, I guess. Let's so go. one of the things that I've encountered this year, it, it, more than in previous years, although it has happened in previous years, as an individual, right, as somebody who thinks about stuff and, you know, knows a lot of it is wrong and can maybe do something about it. But uh, one of the things that I've run into over and over again this year is, you know, pick pick a, a place, a restaurant, lunch, a bar, whatever. You're sitting there and you get into a casual conversation with somebody you don't really know. And it, you know, comes around to something like, let's use BLM, right? Yep, yep. And I've heard people, you know, like there'd be something on the news and, it, and I've heard people make statements like, they just need to get over that. Mm, mm. And I'm like, I'm like, get over what? And, and, and like, you know, you see, like, if, if that was you, like, if you were, if you were in their skin, do you think you'd feel, you know, and you try to have that conversation that says, have you thought about this from the perspective of the other person and the, the reasons that they're saying the things they are? And, 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 you know, they're like, oh, well, it's just all blah, 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 you know, and they give like some rote script from Trump or somebody else or whatever. And it kind of, you, you see the conversation going anywhere. And it's kind of caused me to reach a conclusion that sounds a little weird, but in some ways, I think white privilege, which I also hear a lot of people say they don't believe in white privilege, mostly because they enjoy it, so they don't really understand. Um, <laughs> I think white privilege a lot of times is just white people being uncomfortable, and or not uncomfortable, but not wanting to be made to feel uncomfortable about their life. And as long as they're happy, then everything's okay, and the other people should just get over it. That's, yeah. I mean, I know that's very simplistic, but I've had that conversation like 10 times this year, and I have yet to figure out how to change someone's mind, and I don't think it's possible. Yeah, yeah. Fast Company actually just put up an article. Um, I want to say that article was late late October, maybe early November, and the title of it is, This is the Biggest Mistake People Make with Microaggressions at Work. It's a long title. Mm-hmm. It's a mouthful. But inside of that article, they talk about, this concept with an acronym of DARVO, D-A-R-V-O. And that acronym of DARVO was coined by psychologist Jennifer Freed. And basically what she's saying is that the D stands for denies. And this is one of those microaggressions. And it's not an aggression in the example that you gave, Michael, but it's apropos. And basically Mm -hmm. what they're saying with the D is, I can't believe you think what I said was offensive. You're being sensitive. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, mm-hmm. so, so let's deny let's, let's deny what it is that is being called out. Michael is calling out this individual uh, because of their position around Black Lives Matter. They, in turn, deny what, what you are saying and, and accusing you, Michael, of being too sensitive. And, and then they attack mm-hmm. you. That's what the A is for. Uh, they, mm-hmm. They'll say something like, well, why do you have to make everything about race? I really feel uncomfortable and put on the spot. There's that word, un- mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Uh, put another way, we've talked about having courageous conversations inside of our workplace. Or we've talked about having uncomfortable conversations inside of our workplace. Like you just said in that example, that white privilege is a matter of them avoiding it because they don't want to be uncomfortable. And so what they're doing in this Darvo example is denying, attacking, and then they're reversing the victim and offender. Now they're trying to make yep. it seem like you, Michael, are the bad person. You're the bad mm-hmm. guy at the bar. You're spoiling the party. 
you're disrupting the ecosystem and the flow. We were having a great time, but you had to be supportive of Black Lives Matter. You had mm-hmm. to be supportive of a group of people that are marching in streets because people are being shot in the streets like animals. Yeah, that's what it's for. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're supporting people like a Colin Kaepernick who wants to kneel because people are being shot in streets like animals. But, but we'd mm-hmm. rather hijack the conversation and say that uh, Colin is kneeling and he's offensive to the flag, he's offensive to our military, and he's offensive to our policemen in blue. That, that's what they'd rather do. They'd rather hijack the conversation, completely strip the narrative of its original position, and take a totally different one and continue to spew that one, where we have uh, our president calling the mothers of these NFL players sons of bitches. You understand what I'm saying? Yep. So, so yep. all I'm saying to you is I'm not willing to sit by and deal with it. And I am not a person who is going to go into any organization and provide operational cover for these races. you got to mm-hmm. understand, people in Charlottesville and some of these other cities, they are protesting, calling themselves militia and some of these other things, and then they are cocking in in your office. We had FedEx in Ohio. They found a noose in the FedEx building, and the people told the person who was offended to take a picture of it and give it to security. Not HR, security. Why would I do that? So these people in Black Lives Matter and so many of these other social justice groups and movements, we are doing this not because we're not doing this just because we feel like going out and being rabble rousers. We're doing it because people are not listening. And my hope is that we continue to do it, that organizations like Black Lives Matter, not antagonists, not people that are simply causing trouble and taking advantage of a scenario, people that are methodically and, you know, exercising their right to protest, to uh, perform silent, whatever. We know the difference. I know the difference. I know the yep. difference between a person looting, breaking a window, running in and grabbing sneakers and clothing and other merchandise versus a person who is marching down the street and demanding that something be done differently in the respective city. I know the difference. And those mm-hmm. people know the difference as well. What they're doing is allowing themselves to continue to be comfortable with the narrative, with the way that things have been. And I'm telling you, Michael, we are not having it. I'm not having it at 52 my daughters are not having it in, at 30 and 23. My kings are not having it at 19 and 16. And I suspect that my grandchildren, I have one granddaughter that's eight and another grandchild that's on the way. I suspect that if they have anything to do with me, they won't be having it either. Yep. Well, you know, and I think it's as, 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 as much as people try to deflect or turn the conversation or 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 not listen, um, the stuff is these conversations are more and more in front of people's faces now. We just had here three four days ago in Louisiana huge huge story broke on the um, Louisiana State Police um, kind of a uh, I've worked with many <laughs> many. St- current and ex-state police over the years. This does not surprise me, but just a bunch of email and phone records that were released of incredibly um, 
racist uh, terminology used from you know one trooper to another trooper. You know what folks were calling their coworkers in writing, on phone calls, in conversations, and just um, you know finally out there. Um, but I've still the story broke, and I happened to be somewhere and heard again the apologists about it. Um, and it's, I don't know what, I don't know what it's going to take for people. So sometimes that's when I get hopeless, <laughs> you know, and I think, what, what do we do to, um, to strip that, that blindness away from these, you know, these white folks that are not seeing what the reality think. is. I, you know, yeah, does it take me. another generation? Yeah, yeah. Well, it it might. It might take another generation. It it might be something that we have to deal with, you know, for all of eternity. You know, racism may be something yeah. that we are not able to stamp out. I mean, quite frankly, this made up construct has been around since seventeen ninety thereabouts. So it's yeah. something that we've continued to deal with for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and, and I don't think that I'm strong enough to see it be, you know, gone and erased in the next fifty. But, but that being said, I'm going to do everything that I can to hold leaders accountable. And so here's what I would say, Robin. I want to be inside of organizations, number one, where leadership makes a declarative statement as to how important inclusion and representation is. And when I say inclusion and representation, that's the short form of diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. So I use yeah. them interchangeably. But, but I want to be in an organization where the leadership has made a statement of how important inclusion and representation is. A, a very close 1A step, 1B step, would be to take a portion of the company's money and put it inside of a black bank. In 2000, there were 40 mm-hmm. black banks in the U.S. Today, there are 19. Those 19 wow. black banks have less than $5 billion in assets. So here's, here's what's important. People respect the money. Mm-hmm. They may not respect me marching down the middle of the street here in Baltimore, but they will respect me if I initiate a bus boycott like they did in the 60s. You see, at first mm-hmm. they didn't pay any attention to them. But when those white owners started losing money, then they started wanting to beat black people up to make them get on the bus. Imagine mm-hmm. that. Imagine mm-hmm. that. You want me to sit in the back of the bus, but because I'm not willing to be Uh, denigrated anymore and I'm standing up and speaking up for myself now you want to attack me aggressively attack me to make me get on the bus I need Mm -hmm. leadership that is going to make a declarative statement I need leadership that is going to put a portion of the company's money in a black bank number two I need leadership that are going to be willing to reallocate resources that again are dollar and headcount I don't need Mm -hmm. to spend as much money on these political outings, these fundraising dinners, and some of these other things, I need to shift some of that money around and maybe have some different relationships with some new community groups, with some new Mm -hmm. academic institutions, with some new churches. I need to have some different collaboration partners. I need to reallocate resources in terms of headcount. I'm going to take Michael off of this project and put him over here on this particular project. I'm going to take Robin away from her responsibilities in HR, and I'm going to line her up with Torn because I think the two of them can work extremely well in penetrating New Orleans or uh, some of the other bayous or whatever it is. 
but I'm going to look at my resources and I'm going to reallocate and I'm going to shift them because inclusion and representation are important to me. And then last but not least, Robin, I'm going to hold every single leader accountable, period. Now, this gets to your point mm-hmm. around, you know, uh, uh, apologists and sticking up for these uh, um, troopers or these uh, law enforcement officials that are using degrading, disparaging, um, yep. uh, perhaps even homophobic language. No, I'm holding you accountable. So if you are not upholding the value the mission of this organization, then you have to go. And I'm not going to make it easy for you to go down the street and get another job. I am going to make it very difficult for you to continue to operate with support. Plain and simple. It's not hard Mm -hmm. for us to hold people accountable. The problem, Robin, is that we have not, period. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. How you know one of the things that you've talked uh, uh, quite a bit about is, as well is moving from um, ally sh- moving from allyship to action, That's and right. and so there's that there's that you know that sort of that corporate side of that. What does it look like for an individual to go from allyship to action? Yeah, it goes. It, it, for me, it's more than a hundred and forty character tweet. Yeah, it, it's more than a two hundred and eighty character tweet. It's more than changing your profile picture from Robin to a black space or um, putting up the, 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 the church over in Paris where the roof burned. You remember that church, Robin? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, Michael. So it's more than just the, the symbolic things that a lot of people do. But I have black friends. It's more than statements like that. It, it's more than I don't see color, which I absolutely hope that you see color, but it's far Mm -hmm. more than that. It is sacrifice. Allyship in many ways is about sacrifice. It's about lending Mm. me your privilege. If in fact you know that you can access rooms differently in your organization, lend me your privilege. Take me with you, Michael. Take me with you, Robin. Take her with you, that underrepresented, that unheard voice, that unsupported voice in the organization, take them with you in that room. Advocate for them. Make sure that they are, uh, uh, are lined up to receive the learning and development that is necessary for them to ascend in the organization. Make sure that they are introduced to other people in different business units and departments that can help them become a more well-rounded more valuable mm-hmm. asset inside of the organization. It is far more than these performative things that people have done over the last, I can't even tell you how long, but certainly for far too long. It's about taking action, and some of that action will result in sacrifice. Yeah. I remember reaching out to a guy, and this was just a, I can't remember the way that he described it, but Bottom line is he, he had an opportunity to be the president of this particular organization. Symbolic. You know, symbolic role. He's president. It's a volunteer. It's not his day job. He receives no compensation. White guy over in London. Cool. He said, and he was in the advertising space. He said, I don't, I don't need, in this moment, I don't need to be president. I am going to step aside, and we're going mm-hmm. to make room for, and I forget the person, but she was a black woman a black British woman 
that they inserted mm-hmm. installed as president. And I immediately reached out to him via Twitter, and I invited him to, to join me on my Sirius XM show because mm-hmm. I wanted to hear, you know, what, what thought went into that? What Was it hard? You know, did you wrestle with that thought? Did it come easy? You know, what was some of the feedback that you may have received? What was some of the backroom chatter that we weren't necessarily privy to? What did other white men say? What did past leaders say? I wanted to ask him those types of questions, not from a punitive or from a cajoling type way, but from an informational and instructional type of way. Because I believe mm-hmm. that we can learn in all of those instances. Now, he declined. He didn't want, you know, any fanfare. He didn't want to talk about it. He just wanted to do it. He just simply wanted to do it. Sometimes mm-hmm. allyship is sacrifice. Now, in that instance, nothing was lost. It was all symbolic. But there yep. are some times where you have to say, you know what, listen, I'm going to take this promotion no matter what. I'm not going to take this stretch assignment. I'm giving it to Janine. I'm yep. giving it to Kirsten. I'm giving it to Sarah. I'm giving yep. it to Robin. I'm giving it to Julie, who has a disability, even though it's hidden. Mm-hmm. I'm giving it to her mm-hmm. because I know she's capable, and I'm going to step aside. Mm-hmm. Yes. I've wanted it for the longest. I'm going to step aside. I'm going to speak up like Michael showed in that example in the bar. Yep. I'm going to sacrifice. Let me give you an example, a real example. Just like you used Michael, Bill Borman was in a bar over in England. Mm-hmm. They got into it because someone used a homophobic slur in their yep. conversation. Yep. He put a picture up on Facebook because he got into a scuffle with a guy, I don't know if the guy hit him with a bottle, with a glass, with his fist. Yep. But Bill was cut because he sacrificed. He didn't allow himself to remain comfortable in that moment. He didn't snicker and laugh at the, the, the misgiving of that conversation. He called it out and said, we're not, gonna, we're not accepting that. And we mm-hmm. have to be willing to not be silent in the face of this injustice, this inequity, this inequality. We cannot be silent. And, in fact, when we speak up, we create more opportunity for all of us. Mm. That is a perfect, perfect way to end the show because we are just uh, just about out of time. And um, excellent, excellent thought um, to leave us with today. So, again, everybody um, – Thanks to our guest Torn Ellis for joining us today on this on this election day 2020. Um while we have some things linked on on the show site Torn um can you just remind our audience where they can find you online? Absolutely across all of social media at Torin Ellis that's 1 R T O R I N E L L I S across all of social media at Torin Ellis. Um, I'm easy to find, and if you get struggled there, just go to torinellis.com. That's right. It's, you're you're one of those. We just say Google him, and there, right. and there he is <laughs> to every channel. Torin, Tor, glad. I'm really glad we get a chance to talk. This was a great show. Thanks so much for doing it. Um, let's do it again. Absolutely, let's, and I appreciate the both of you for trusting my voice, trusting and having my voice. Absolutely. All right, everybody, we are out. Go vote if you have not done so yet. Bye, everybody. Bye.